The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Candid Conversations and Clinical Consults in Community Context, Practical Guidance for Integrating TROP2 Targeting ADCs into Patient-Centric Breast Cancer Clinical Care. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash JWM860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. Hello, welcome. Today we'll review candid conversations and clinical consults in the community context. We'll focus on integrating trope 2 directed antibody drug conjugates with a patient-centric view related to breast cancer. So I'm Aditya Bardia. It's my pleasure to welcome you all. I'm Associate Professor in Medicine, Harvard Medical School, attending physician at Massachusetts General Hospital. Today we have an esteemed panel it's my pleasure to introduce Erica. Hi, I'm Dr. Erica Hamilton. I'm the director of the Breast and Gynecologic Research Program here at Sarah Cannon Research Institute at Tennessee Oncology. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Absolutely. And Maria? Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Maria Shellock. I'm a research nurse manager here at Mass General, um, overseeing the Cancer Center Protocol Office. Thank you so Thanks. much. Welcome. So without further ado, let's get started. We'll have three modules today. The first one is delving into details of targeted trope 2 in breast cancer. So we'll start with the first module about trope 2. So first, let's review the unmet needs and opportunities for improvement for patients with breast cancer. Why is there interest in trope 2? Trope 2 is expressed across all breast cancer subtypes, including aggressive subtypes like triple negative or ERP or HER2 negative breast cancer. And the field is moving away from cytotoxic therapy and more towards precision medicine-based treatment. Targeted chemotherapy or antibody drug conjugates have transformed the way we think about giving treatment to patients with breast cancer. Early data suggests that about a third of patients with metastatic breast cancer could benefit from trope 2 directed antibody drug conjugates such as sasituzumab govitecan. So it's really important because it would offer access to patients who otherwise do not have a very good prognosis. So we'll review the data behind sasituzumab govitecan and we'll also talk about management of toxicity related to this agent. For this program, we partnered with MetaViver and Living Beyond Breast Cancer to help integrate patient and advocate perspectives into this program. And that's the mission of MetaViver and Living Beyond Breast Cancer. It's to improve patient outcomes. The thought is that patients should be appropriately informed and educated about their treatment, including clinical trials that they're eligible. And by integrating patient and advocate perspective, we can further improve the care of an individual with breast cancer. And the belief is also that clinicians and patients should engage in shared decision-making to ensure that the right patient receives the right treatment. And with that philosophy, today we have a patient um, who will share her story with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. This is a patient that I have the privilege of taking care of along with Maria, and she'll review her metastatic triple negative breast cancer journey, how she is doing well on the current treatment, and 
offer a patient perspective. So let's listen to her testimonial. My name is Melissa. Um, I am currently 39 years old. I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, September 21st of 2020. I was 38 years old at the time. Um, at that time, I received, I had surgery. Um, I had a single mastectomy on my right side to remove the cancer. And shortly after I started chemotherapy, um, that was the end of December of 2021 and through May of 2022. I received two different types of chemotherapy treatment in, um, via infusion. And then I thought I was on my way to recovery. I went for my appointment in August of 2022 to start radiation. And at that time, I found out that there was a tumor in my left lung and my cancer had spread. So at that point, radiation for my right side, where my cancer originally was, was put on hold. And I started, I had four intense treatments of radiation for my left lung, where my cancer had spread to. So at that point, my radiation oncologist referred me to Dr. Bardia down at Mass General. Um, I met with Dr. Bardia and Maria, his nurse, and the team down there and we talked about you know a clinical trial given the circumstances of my breast cancer and the fact that it had spread all through previous chemotherapy um a clinical trial was something that i considered in hopes that because the standard chemotherapy didn't work for me, that this would work for me. So I started October 2nd of 2021 and have been undergoing this clinical trial since. Um, it's a 21 day cycle. I have on day one infusion, day eight I have infusion, and they Day 15 through 21, I take an oral chemo drug, um, one pill a day for seven days, which is also part of the trial. Since October, um, my tumor has shrunk um, 33% total. I've had great CAT scan results. I have a CAT scan every eight weeks um, to kind of see where things are and make sure that treatment's working. When I met with Dr. Bardia in August of last year, when I found out my cancer had spread, he informed me that this is considered a chronic illness and something that I would have to live with probably for the rest of my life. Um, that's hard to hear when you're not even 40. <laughs> Um, and to try and live a normal life and be a mom, um, 
So, but on the bright side and the positive, this clinical trial that I'm on is working and it is allowing me to live um, my best life. Um, and the side effects that I have are very minimal. Okay, that was very um, inspiring and it's great to see uh, the patient do well. Uh, I'll also like to review another case. Uh, this is a patient I had seen a couple years ago, a patient with metastatic triple negative breast cancer who initially had lumpectomy and radiation therapy, then received adjuvant ACT treatment. Unfortunately, two years later had disease recurrence. She presented with shortness of breath to the ED, had restaging scans, which revealed lesions in the lung and liver. As per recommendation, she had a biopsy, which confirmed that this was breast adenocarcinoma and was the same as before, ERPR, HER2 negative or triple negative. Now for a patient with triple negative breast cancer, there are two biomarkers that are recommended. The first one is to evaluate for PDL1 status because that could impact management. And the second is to look at germline BRCA status. So this was done for this patient. She did not have germline BRCA mutation. So she was started on first line therapy with carboplatin, did well for about five months and then had disease progression. So now the question is, what should be the second line treatment option for this patient with metastatic TNBC? And that's where sasituzumab govitecan comes in. It's a trope 2 directed antibody drug conjugate. So as the name suggests, antibody drug conjugate, it has three components. The first is the antibody. The antibody is against trope 2. The second component is the linker. And the third component is the payload, the drug, which is SN38, the active metabolite of iron of TCAN. The way it works is that it's an antibody drug conjugate. The antibody binds to the antigen, which is trope 2 in this case, which is overexpressed in cancer cells, including triple negative breast cancer. And we can see this in the diagram. Sasituzumab govitecan binds to trope 2, then gets internalized. And then once it's inside the cancer cell through lysosomal drug release, SN38 is released. SN38 is the active payload that causes TOPO1 inhibition and DNA damage and results in apoptosis. So that's how the drug can release selectively high doses of toxic payload like SN38 to cancer cells. Now these newer ADCs also have uh, the so-called bystander effect. And what that means is that the SN38 can also be released in the tumor microenvironment. So even if there are cells that do not express trope 2, this agent would work because of the bystander effect. We know that tumors are complex and you can have a tumor with some cells expressing trope 2 and other cells not expressing trope 2. But because of this bystander effect, it can address trope 2 heterogeneity and still exert its anti-cancer effect. So we reviewed the mechanism of action of sasituzumab govitecan and the excitement related to this drug. So I'll move on to the second module, which is about the data related to antibody drug conjugates for treatment of triple negative and hormone receptor positive breast cancer. And for this, I'll hand it over to Dr. Hamilton. 
Thanks so much. So happy to go through the current Trope 2 targeting ADC that we have uh, approved in this setting. So this really is to build upon the slide that Dr. Bardia walked us through, really about the design of this molecule. Again, it's an antibody drug conjugate. Uh, the antibody is targeting trope 2, which as you can see on the bottom left is highly expressed in triple negative breast cancers. Over 90% of triple negatives do express trope 2. So a widely expressed target um, that is actionable for our patients. The SN38 payload um, is 136-fold more potent uh, than the parent com compound, which is arenatecan or a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor. And this really allows unique delivery through the linker uh, with a drug-to-antibody ratio of almost 8 to 1, about 7.6, uh, to allow us to find these trope 2 positive cells and then deliver uh, a chemotherapy payload directly to those cells while hopefully sparing a lot of the rest of the body um, from some of the side effects. On the right side of this slide, you can see uh, the initial data. Uh, this was triple negative breast cancer in the third, fourth, even fifth line. This was a phase two study, and you can see the waterfall plot here really showing the vast majority of patients received benefit and had some tumor shrinkage. The clinical benefit rate, which is defined as all patients that had a complete response, a partial response, or stable disease that lasted at least six months in duration of about 45% here. Again, 74% of patients did have some decrease in the size of their target lesions. And uh, you know this was a pretty large study with really over 100 patients treated. So the duration of response ended up being 7.6 months and the median progression-free uh, survival here was 5.5 months. So this led to the phase three confirmatory trial. Uh, this uh, trial was called ASCENT, and this was sasituzumab gavotecan in pre-treated metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Again, all patients here did have metastatic disease. They'd had at least two chemotherapies for advanced disease. There was no upper limit of how many chemotherapies patients might have received. One of these two could have been in the early setting if patients quickly relapsed within 12 months of completion of neoadjuvant or adjuvant therapy. And again, this was a global study as well. A little over 500 patients were randomized in a one-to-one -one fashion of sasituzumab uh, on days one and eight of every three-week cycle or treatment of physician's choice, which was a host of standard chemotherapies, including aribulin, venerelbine, gemcitabine, and capecitabine. And patients continued either until their disease grew or they had another toxicity or reason from withdrawing from the study. So these are the results. On the left, you can see progression-free survival, really our standard chemotherapies only giving a progression-free survival of 1.7 months here. Uh, but sasituzumab gavotecan coming in at 5.6 months, so a hazard ratio of 0.41 that was highly statistically significant. And if you go over to the right side of the slide, even more impressive was the benefit in overall survival. 
for patients that were treated with standard chemotherapy, it was 6.7 months, and those receiving sasituzumab gavotecan was over a year at 12.1 months for an absolute magnitude of benefit of 5.4 months. So I think, you know, clearly showing the profound activity of sasituzumab gavotecan, but also a sobering reminder for us that even good standard chemotherapy that we use every day is really underperforming in these patients with aggressive triple negative disease. So what about when we look at subgroup analyses? This is broken down by uh, trope um, to high, medium, or low. And then again, in this kind of red and yellow schema, trope high, medium, uh, and low um, for our standard chemotherapies. And you can see across the board, um, regardless uh, which section you look at, um, that the patients that were receiving sasituzumab, regardless of trope 2 expression, were overperforming compared to their counterparts that were on standard chemotherapy. So again, another reassuring tidbit, kind of, uh, you know, telling us that we don't need to be testing for trope 2 or worrying about whether the patient is medium or high, um, that universally this drug is um, outperforming chemotherapy in our patients. And what about survival um, outcomes? You can see sasituzumab gavotecan represented here in green and our other standard chemotherapies that I won't read through in the various other um, colors. And there really was not one chemotherapy that was doing better than the others, but universally sasituzumab was outperforming all four of the other chemotherapies. There were also 10 patients in the sasituzumab gavotecan arm that had a complete response versus only two in the treatment of physician's choice arm, and this was actually the aribulin arm. And the median duration of response was 6.3 months for sasituzumab and ranged from really around two months to less than four months for the treatment of physician's choice. So when we look at overall response rate, this came in at 35% for sasituzumab gavotecan and only three to 6% for treatment of physician's choice. So again, kind of once we're in that third line and beyond space uh, for chemotherapy for triple negative disease, it's really not a fair expectation to be expecting a large response rate from standard chemotherapies. So clearly much better here with sasituzumab. So at ASCO 2022, we reviewed the final results from the ASCENT trial. As a brief reminder, ASCENT was a trial that looked at sasituzumab govitecan, a trope 2 directed antibody to conjugate against standard chemotherapy for patients with pretreated metastatic triple negative breast cancer. The trial met its primary outcome. The median PFS and OS were both improved with sasituzumab govitecan with more than doubling of PFS and OS with sasituzumab govitecan as compared to treatment of physician's choice, uh, improvement in response rate, uh, clinical benefit rate, all the endpoints were met uh, with sasituzumab govitecan as compared to standard endocrine therapy. At ASCO 2022, we also presented the results related to quality of life, and there was uh, improved quality of life with sasituzumab govitecan as compared to standard endocrine therapy. So the bottom line is, that sasituzumab govitecan is a better agent both from efficacy and tolerability perspective as compared to standard chemotherapy like irubilin or vinorelbine, gypsidabine, capecitabine in pretreated metastatic TNBC and continues to remain the recommended standard of care in the second line and plus setting.
In April of 2021, the FDA granted regular approval for sasituzumab gavotecan for patients with locally advanced or metastatic triple negative breast cancer who had received at least two or more prior systemic therapies. At least one of them had to be in the metastatic setting. And based on this, we also saw a change to our NCCN guidelines, which can be an incredibly helpful document when you're in clinic and thinking about what may be next with the addition of sasituzumab gavotecan here in the red box under our preferred uh, regimens for unrespectable stage four disease. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Hamilton, for reviewing the data and providing perspective as to why there's interest in this drug as second-line therapy for patients with metastatic TNBC. And that's exactly what was done for this patient. This patient received or started treatment with sasituzumab covitecan. So if you look at the current treatment roadmap for metastatic TNBC, the idea is a patient with metastatic TNBC at the time of diagnosis should be evaluated for PDL1 status in the tumor. If the tumor is PDL1 positive, then the treatment should include immunotherapy with a drug like pembrolizumab. The choice of chemotherapy backbone essentially is based on whether the patient had disease recurrence within 12 months from adjuvant therapy or more than 12 months. If it's within 12 months from adjuvant therapy, such as ACT, then the chemotherapy backbone could be gemcitabine carboplatin, a drug that the patient has not received before. But on the other hand, if it's um, more than 12 months, particularly two or three years since the completion of adjuvant or neoadjuvant treatment, one could certainly use napaclitaxel or paclitaxel along with pembrolizumab. If a patient has germline BRCA mutation, one could also consider the use of a PARP inhibitor, either first line or second or third line setting. If a patient does not have a tumor that is PDL1 positive, so PDL1 negative, triple negative breast cancer, uh, the choice would be chemotherapy for a patient who does not have germline BRCA. If germline BRCA is present, one could certainly consider a PARP inhibitor. So that's first line. In the second line setting, the preferred treatment is sasituzumab covitecan as reviewed uh, by Dr. Hamilton based on the ASCEND trial and emerging data. One should always consider clinical trials, including novel antibody drug conjugates, trials looking at combination of immunotherapy with novel agents, those should always be considered. So I would emphasize that in the first line setting, it's important to look at biomarkers. In the second line setting, consider sasituzumab govitecan, but always consider clinical trials at each decision point. And this requires a discussion with the patient, also requires a multidisciplinary team. So Murray, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts about the role of interprofessional collaboration, the role of nurses and other team members as we think about taking care of patients with uh, breast cancer. Thank you, Dr. Bardia and Dr. Hamilton for laying the foundation for our discussion today. So Dr. Bardia and I are very fortunate to work together um, at MGH and we are also very fortunate to work in a very collaborative environment um, where we're really able to pull on resources to take care of the patient, you know, beyond treatment, but helping them, you know, manage their lives at home, helping them manage their pain and symptoms with palliative care. And really there's so much that goes into the patient's experience more than just them coming in for their infusion every week. 
So here is just a, you know, an example of what we ideally like to see happen for the patient, that the patient's at the center of all of our focuses and between you know, nursing, APPs, providers, pharmacy, social work, you know, palliative care, rehab settings, that we're all doing our best to serve the patient um, you know, under their, what, with keeping them at the center of, of, of our focus. We want to come to them. We don't want them to have to shuffle around and come to us. And I think what really makes a huge difference here is strong communication. When you have a team that is strongly communicating on the patient's behalf, you know th their outcomes are so much more optimal and it really makes such a tremendous difference. Um, unfortunately, um, when we think about moving into the community, um, sometimes these resources are not um, as available, and truly this can impact the patient's experience. It can, uh, you know, impact the provider's comfort level with utilizing, you know, newer treatments like this when they haven't had experience or, you know, there's just, they haven't been able to keep up with the evidence or the, you know, new treatments and how to manage the side effects. And if they don't have the experience, um, it's, it's definitely a barrier for these patients, which really underserves them. Um, so I'd like to ask Dr. Hamilton what her experience is, um, being that Dr. Barty and I work together here in Boston, we'd like to hear from you on, on your perspective. Yeah, thanks so much, Maria. You know, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, community oncologists and particularly those that kind of see all tumor types um, really kind of are the, the heroes here of trying to keep up with the literature across multiple subtypes of not only breast cancer, but all other types of cancer. So we really serve as a referral base. Um, you know, I have uh, many people just kind of call my uh, cell phone of, hey, I have, you know, somebody, this is what I'm thinking of next. Do you have any other ideas? And we certainly welcome those calls. You know, we're lucky um, to be, you know, a large clinical trial referral center. You know, I think one of the important um, points about clinical trials is that, you know, there was a survey um, actually done recently that, you know, many patients are not even aware of clinical trials um, or that one would be available to them. So I think it's very important for providers to bring up um, the possibility for a clinical trial, you know, even if they don't have them locally, but also just as a community, we need to start talking about clinical trials more often. So it's probably not the right time to hear about one if you've just been diagnosed with cancer. Um, so really kind of make this more of a household acceptable thing to talk about. So people are aware of a clinical trial before they get diagnosed or a loved one gets diagnosed when everything else is coming as a shock to them. That's such a good point. I think that there's, you know, such a stigma and, and some some fear even associated with clinical trials and, you know, normalizing it and showing it at a much earlier line um, in pe people's, uh, you know, patients, you know, treatment histories is just is so important that needs to it needs to be more normalized for them. Um, thank you so much for that. So. This next slide is basically um, reinforcing, you know, really and recognizing the disparities and the need to provide equitable care to all patients with breast cancer. Um, There's some pretty, you know, um, disheartening facts here, um, which unfortunately, you know, just, just demonstrate why we just need to do better for these particular populations. But so black women have lower rates of diagnosis of breast cancer than white women. Um, they are typically diagnosed at a younger age, at later stages and typically with more aggressive forms like triple negative breast cancer, they represent about 21% of the population and they also unfortunately have the highest death rate. So this really shows why 
access to these novel therapies is so important. Um, and you know, earlier treatment, earlier diagnosis, more awareness is is so important because these women are you know dying, um, and we we can do better for them. So racial and ethnic minorities are also more likely to experience delays in therapy. Less, they're less likely to obtain you know, adequate treatment and they're also significantly underrepresented in clinical trials. And that's a huge problem because I think when you know, patients are you know, asking about what types of, you know, what patients like me have participated in this trial, um, and when you don't have a lot to, to pull from, it's, it's hard. I think people feel comfort in numbers and they feel comfort knowing that you know, they're their particular, you know, background, you know, history is being represented. And it's really important that we tap into all of these, you know, different groups. Um, so Dr. Bardia, I'd like to ask you, what did we learn about race in the ascent data? That's a great segue. Uh, so we did look at race in the ascent trial as well, because as you brought up, it's a very important point to ensure that all the racial groups are deriving benefit from a drug and also have access to the drug. So in the phase three trials, about 10% of patients, 12% to be exact, self-reported their race as black. And we looked at the outcomes in terms of both progression-free survival and overall survival in this group. And essentially, patients did derive benefit. There was improvement in progression-free survival and in terms of overall survival, the overall survival with sasituzumab govitecan was more than a year. So it is important that patients get access to drug and they're able to derive benefit from these cutting edge therapies. Now the drug does have side effects. It does work, it's better than the current standard of care, but does have treatment related side effects. And that's largely because of the SN38 payload. The three most common side effects with this agent includes myelosuppression with neutropenia being quite common. The incidence of grade three, which is ANC of less than 1000 is 46%. So pretty much um, two, one out of two patients will have grade three neutropenia with the use of uh, sasituzumab covitecan. The trial did not allow primary prophylaxis, but secondary prophylaxis with GCSF is definitely allowed and actually recommended. The second side effect is diarrhea. Because of the SN38 payload, the drug does cause diarrhea. The incidence is much lower than irnotecan, but it is a side effect that we tend to see, along with uh, nausea and sometimes vomiting as well. So it is important that patients receive anti-nausea medications and also have a prescription of Imodium. So if they have diarrhea over the weekend or after hours, they have access to Imodium to control the diarrhea. The third side effect is alopecia. This is an agent that tends to cause alopecia, so it's important that this is discussed with patient. These are side effects that can be managed with supportive therapies. In the clinical trial, AEs leading to treatment discontinuation was low, less than 5%. So it's important to be aware of these side effects and manage them with supportive therapy. So coming back to this uh, patient, this patient was started on sasituzumab govitecan on cycle two day one was noted to have grade three neutropenia with an ANC of 800. The patient was afebrile. So the question is what should be done next? How can we manage the neutropenia? There are guidelines for this. Uh, 
sasituzumab govitecan induced neutropenia is something that can be managed with holding the drug allowing the ANC to improve and once the ANC improves then you can restart the medication if needed you can also use GCSF if you are seeing that the neutropenia is recurrent you can also consider dose reduction you can dose reduce to 7.5 milligram per kilogram so 25% dose reduction and if needed even 50% dose reduction of sasituzumab covitecan and usually with dose reduction and holding the drug for majority of patients you can continue the patient on this medication uh, treatment discontinuation because of neutropenia in uh, the clinical trial and in clinical practice as well is pretty low in terms of management of diarrhea if a patient has diarrhea during infusion it's likely because of a cholinergic reaction it's not common but something that has been described so if a patient has diarrhea during infusion the use of atropine is recommended because it's likely from a cholinergic reaction but the common scenario is that the diarrhea occurs a day later sometimes even days later after the infusion and if that's the case then we would recommend loperamide you can start with four milligrams and patient can take two milligram after each loose stool up to 16 milligrams a day once the diarrhea improves the patient then can start uh, treatment with sasituzumab covitecan again now if the diarrhea does not improve with high dose loperamide there are other medications you can consider like octreotide but I would say for majority of the patients you can control the diarrhea with the use of loperamide in terms of management of other AEs hypersensitivity if a patient has hypersensitivity to sasituzumab govitecan as with any other infusion related reactions the recommendation is to stop the drug and then infuse it slowly over time it depends on the grade as well it's usually grade one grade two and with slower infusions you can manage that if a patient has grade four or um, high grade hypersensitivity reaction then the drug should be permanently discontinued and then finally for nausea vomiting it's recommended that patients should be pre-medicated with two or three drug regimen I generally tend to prefer three drug regimen as long as the patient can tolerate that so that they have um, a better experience to start with and if a patient is really doing well with subsequent cycles you can decrease from three drug to two drugs you have to uh, warn the patient about potential side effects from the anti-nausea medications such as constipation that can be seen with drugs like ondocetron. If a patient has severe nausea grade 3 or grade 4 then you should hold the drug allow the nausea to improve and then you can restart the medication. Usually with this supportive medication use uh, you can control the side effects and patients can continue on sasituzumab covitecan. So we'll now move to the final module, which is how does um, how do things look in the future uh, related to trope to directed antibody drug conjugates, and would like to get Dr. Hamilton's perspective on future directions. Thanks so much. So I'm going to cover a few slides about where sasituzumab is going, and then I'll hand it back to you, Dr. Bardia. So you can see here the ongoing phase two in metastatic disease, 
and then also SASE IO for hormone receptor positive disease. So um, I think this is obviously a very exciting trial and really trying to expand where we currently have IO benefit um, for our breast cancer patients. And then on the bottom, um, again, a very exciting uh, trial, SASIA. This is a phase three um, for patients that have had residual disease after neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And this is a trial for HER2 negative, so both triple negative and hormone receptor positive that we would traditionally uh, describe. So at ASCO 2022, we saw the first results from the Tropics O2 trial a pivotal phase three trial looking at sasituzumab govitecan, a trope two directed antibody drug conjugate in heavily pretreated patients with hormone receptor positive HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer. Uh, this was in the third line plus chemo setting in hormone receptor positive breast cancer. Patients had received a median of three prior lines of chemotherapy. And in this setting, sasituzumab was a standard chemotherapy, showed an improvement in progression-free survival with a hazard ratio of 0.66. Um, and if you look at landmark analyses, because there was initial drop in the curves and then separation, if you look at 12-month PFS rate, that was 21% with sasituzumab govitecan as compared to 7% with standard endocrine therapy. So improvement seen in progression-free survival with this agent in uh, heavily pretreated ER positive HER2 negative breast cancer. In terms of overall survival, the results are not mature yet. There appears to be a trend, but I think we need additional follow-up before we can fully interpret the overall survival results. Now, what about ongoing combinations? You can see here on the top that there are quite a few uh, with checkpoint inhibitors, um, sasituzumab govitecan in combination with pembrolizumab. And if you read down on the right side, um, there's a first-line trial uh, for patients that are pdl one negative who are participating in this and are quite excited about it, um, as well as the hormone receptor positive trial. We talked about an early stage localized triple negative. So really kind of asking the question of, instead of giving naked chemo, as I call it, can we give antibody drug conjugate in combination uh, with pembrolizumab? And then there's also um, a Morpheus triple negative trial in combination with atezolizumab. There are also combinations with PARP inhibitors. Um, I participated in the C-STAR trial as well, and this was combining rucaparib with sasituzumab. And then there is another um, trial in combination with talizoparib, one of our other PARP inhibitors. So this um, obviously is very exciting, and we're, we're trying to figure out where else we may be able to use sasituzumab, either alone or in combination. So let's go back to case two here, a patient from whom the clinical trial was being uh, considered. Um, you know, again, she was initially uh, had a lumpectomy for a T2 in zero triple negative breast cancer, received AC to T chemotherapy, and then several years later, uh, noticed shortness of breath with prompted uh, scans, and again, her triple negative breast cancer uh, had returned. Uh, this is a patient that does not have BRCA alterations and is also PDL1 uh, negative. So um, I, I think that this is a, a great case. You know, we traditionally um, think about potential for IO in these uh, first-line patients. This patient is PD-L1 negative, and so really the current standard is single-agent chemotherapy. And I hope I've convinced you that single-agent chemotherapy um, is not uh, the best for many patients. And so this is a patient that very well may be eligible uh, for trial um, in combination with uh, sasituzumab with 
with immunotherapy in the first line um, or other trials kind of looking um, at other agents earlier in um, their disease course. So Dr. Bardia, I'm gonna turn it back over to you to go through some of the other flavors of antibody drug conjugates that are in development. Thank you so much. And thanks for emphasizing why clinical trials are important and at each decision point, they should be considered, including the first line setting. In terms of other trope 2 directed antibody drug conjugates, uh, there is another drug called datopotumab deruxetan datopotumab referring to the antibody and deruxetan to the payload. And it's being evaluated for patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer as well as other breast cancer subtypes. So it's differentiated from other drugs, including sacituzumab govitecan, in that while the antibody is against trope 2, the type of antibody is slightly different. The second is the linker. The drug has a tetrapeptide-based cleavable linker, which is different from sacituzumab covitecan. And then finally, the payload. It's a hexacetin derivative deruxetan, which is a topo-1 isomerase inhibitor. And the idea is that the antibody drug conjugate would get internalized in the cancer cell and release deruxetan to the cancer cells. The drug also has a bystander effect. The drug can permeate in the tumor microenvironment and can impact cells that do not express trope 2. So this drug was initially evaluated in non-small cell lung cancer where efficacy was seen, and then was also evaluated in triple negative breast cancer in the tropion pantumor O1 study. Patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer who had received a couple of prior treatments and had measurable disease received datopotumab deruxetan at six milligram per kilogram. This drug is given every three weeks the primary objective was safety tolerability and a number of secondary endpoints as well. In terms of what was seen uh, with this drug, the drug did work. Uh, this is a waterfall plot. And you can see in patients with triple negative breast cancer, majority of patients had some tumor reduction. The response rate was 34%. Uh, number of patients had stable disease as well. And in terms of the disease control rate, it was 77%. Now, the trial initially also allowed patients who had received prior sacituzumab govitecan or other TOP1 inhibitor-based antibody drug conjugates. And if we look at the responses in patients who had not received prior TOP1 inhibitor-based uh, antibody drug conjugates, the response rate was much higher, was 52%, which would suggest that there is some cross-resistance between these ADCs and uh, if patient is receiving datapotumab deruxetan for the first time and has not received a TOP1 directed antibody drug conjugate, the response rate is going to be higher. And this has implications as we move into the future and think about ADC-based sequencing. In terms of side effects, the side effect profile with this agent was a bit different from sacituzumab govitecan. Uh, the drug caused mucositis or stomatitis. That's the number one side effect that was seen with datapotumab deruxetan. And surprisingly, the frequency of heme toxicity and the frequency of diarrhea was quite low. The drug does cause nausea and it's important that patients receive anti-nausea medications before datapotumab deruxetan. 
In the triple negative breast cancer cohort, no cases of drug-related ILD were seen, but it is certainly a side effect that needs to be monitored. And similar to sasituzumab govitekin for majority of patients with either drug hold or reduction or management of the AEs, you could continue the treatment. So treatment discontinuation due to AEs was very low, just 2% uh, in this clinical trial. The key again is early recognition and management. In terms of ongoing studies with datopotumab deruxetan, uh, it is enrolling patients with hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer. The Tropion breast O1 trial is a randomized global phase three trial, certainly an agent to consider if the trial is available at your institution. The second one is combination. Combining datopotumab deruxetan with other agents, particularly immunotherapy, and that's the Begonia trial that's looking at DATO-DXT plus DERVA. So in summary and uh, key take uh, home messages, sasituzumab govitekin, a trope to direct an antibody drug conjugate, should be the preferred treatment for pretreated patients with metastatic TNBC in the second line and beyond setting. And there are ongoing studies looking at sasituzumab govitekin in combination with other targeted therapies, immunotherapy, PARP1 inhibitors, and also looking at sasituzumab govitekin in earlier lines as neoadjuvant and adjuvant treatment. There's another trope to directed ADC, datopotumab deruxetan. It has shown activity in pretreated patients with triple negative breast cancer, and the drug is being evaluated not only for TNBC, but also hormone receptor positive breast cancer. And in terms of sequencing of these different ADCs, I think we'll need to understand mechanisms governing resistance. Is it because of the antibody portion? Is it because of the payload portion? And if we understand resistance, that could help us with therapeutic sequencing of these antibody drug conjugates for patients with breast cancer. We also need to look at the adverse events that are associated with these antibody drug conjugates. The key is early recognition and management. And usually with early recognition and management, including dose reductions if needed, we can keep patients on antibody drug conjugates so they can derive maximum benefit from these novel agents. Dr. Bardia, I completely agree with your take home. I think um, from the opinion of the community, you know, this is a relatively easy drug to give. Um, you know, we certainly have to be cognizant of the side effects of nausea, um, particularly uh, diarrhea and the count disturbances. But again, you know, nausea and count disturbances is something that we've all become quite familiar and how um, to help our patients. And, and really going back to Maria's point that communication is key, setting the expectation that patients may have this, um, what to initially do if they do have it, and then what to call for um, if it's beyond um, what they're able to control at home, I think really um, makes this successful. I'm certainly uh, very excited that we have this tool in our arsenal to use um, in the triple negative setting at this point. Thank you, Dr. Hamilton. I, I totally agree. And I think coming from the nursing perspective, um, what I think about most often is how we can best support these patients. How can we educate them, as you said, on what to expect, 
you know, provide them with the right medications to manage these side effects at home. And that includes their family members, too. I think that ultimately, you know, we've been in a tough position with COVID and not being able to have family members come in. And so now that we're starting to kind of see some, you know, hopeful improvement in that, and we've been able to include more caregivers, it's, it's been really important to help to translate some of these, you know, supportive care guidelines that are, are familiar to us, but not familiar necessarily to them, especially if they're using this in earlier line, um, you know, treatment, which is ultimately what we all hope for. Um, it's, we've seen such amazing, you know, experiences for our patients at Mass General, at least, and we're just so grateful for this, you know, opportunity for them and to help patients live longer and, and to have less side effects and a, you know, easier life. When I met with Dr. Bardia originally to talk about treatment, I didn't know anything about a clinical trial. I didn't know what that entailed. Um, Dr. Bardia brought it up and mentioned that to me. And I decided that I wanted to go that route because standard chemotherapy didn't work for me. Um, my best advice that I can give anybody that is going through treatments or recent diagnosis of cancer is to be your own advocate. You, nobody can advocate for you better than yourself. Um, know where you want to be, know what kind of life you want to live, um, know what you want to feel like at the end of the day. Um, there are a lot of treatment options out there, but this clinical trial and these drug, these medications that I'm on um, under this trial have worked immensely for me. Um, I can't say better things about Dr. Barty and the team and the knowledge that he has and the questions he's been able to answer for me. He never leaves me second guessing the decisions that I make. Um, and I can, you know, they're very supportive. And the process of signing up for the clinical trial was very simple. Um, there's a form that I had to sign and then the process began. So thank you so much for participating in the discussion today. Um, thank you. This activity is certified by PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. This activity is developed with our educational partners, Living Beyond Breast Cancer and Metaviver. Remember to download the slides and practice aids. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash JWM860. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Gilead Sciences, Incorporated.